Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 4. And the angel of the Lord that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and as seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. Now, how many of you, that's your life's verse? <laughs> any of you, that's your favorite passage in the Bible? Okay, let's go on. Verse 4, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, how many of you have heard that portion? Isn't it interesting? The context of that passage. We've all seen, not by might, not by power. We've all seen that. The context of it is what we're looking at with this vision of the candlesticks and the two, the candlestick and the two olive trees. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word this morning. Obviously, Lord, we're not going to break down this entire passage today, but we're going to begin it. And Lord, I believe you have some important things for us. Help us now as we study your word in Jesus' name, amen. So we have just come through our How to Study the Bible series. And if you haven't been here for that, I'm going to reference some of it this morning in my message. Um, that's available online. We have the CDs available. All of that is free. So, so you can understand how we're approaching the scriptures. That's why we did the How to Study the Bible series. So two of our factors that focus our Bible study uh, that we looked at, two of them, are the principle of measured words and then the literal principle that you take a passage literally unless the context says that you can't. And what are the words that you're looking for that would help you not to take a section literally? What are the two words that you're looking for? Like and as. Like and as. <laughs> That's awesome. I can't tell you. I was scared for a minute that I was going to ask that question and nobody would know the answer. So now I feel like I'm somebody. that <laughs> You guys have listened. Praise God. So... When on that literal principle, the thing, the, the two words that you ask, these are the things that you're looking for. The only way that you don't take, don't take it literally is if there is what, like or as, and we're going to see some of that. So, principle of measured words. Remember what that is: that every word that God chose to put in the Bible is important. So that remember in John chapter uh, 21, the Bible says, "If all the things." that Jesus did were written, then I suppose that the books of the world couldn't contain them. So God chose a limited number of things to write in the Bible, and then he limited those words. So that means that every word is important. So when we start looking at all this stuff about these candlesticks and all this stuff, it's so easy. And, and now, this, man, this is not a scold or a rebuke. I do the same thing. It's so easy to read past that stuff. How many of you have ever read something in Leviticus or Exodus or whatever, and you just read through it because you don't really know what it's talking about, and then in a Bible study, all of a sudden you tie a passage from the New Testament back to that, and you go, oh, that's what that is. 
Well, that's what teaching is for in that comparing of Scripture. So the two things, the two tools that we're going to use today are the literal principle and the measured words principle. And let's start that in verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me. What's that next word? As a man that is wakened out of his sleep. So he's not asleep. It's like he was asleep. You know, like some of you today. It's it's interesting. That's what's happening in this text. Now, later on, there's some more significant things happening. But as a man that's wakened out of his sleep. The Bible in this passage... So Zechariah receives all of these visions. And depending on how you divide them, there's either eight or ten visions. He, He receives all of these visions in one night. And they become overwhelming for him. And what's happening here is his mind has wandered to the last vision. And now the angel is saying, okay, wake up, wake up. Listen to me here. I have information for you. Look at me. Look at me. Any of you teachers ever do that? Okay, focus up here. Come back here. Look up here. That's what we're supposed to do. See, it's amazing how this side of the church pays attention better now that those windows are blocked off. (laughs) Logan finally looks up here at me while I'm preaching. It, it is. It's so interesting how we all do. And, and Logan does fine. It's just a little joke. The, the, it is interesting how all of us need to have our attention brought back to what is important. And here, I'll show you. Alex, come here for a minute. He's not going to like this, but it's okay. So I'm talking to Alex, and this is what we do. Holy cow. This is what, this is what we do. So I'm talking to Alex. So if, if he were Jacob when he was little. Look at me. Thanks. Thank you. That's all. That's all. I almost couldn't reach it. That's terrible. How many of you have ever done that to your children? Look at me. And what's funny, Lydia, I'd get her face. I'd say, look at me. And she'd be gone like this. And I wanted to grab her eyeballs and pull them into me. Um, that's what's happening in this text. And you know that God often tells us to wake up, to awaken So keep your place here in Zechariah. Put your marker there. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 14. So this is written to the church at Ephesus. So this is... This is material, these church epistles. Remember, we talked about whose mail you're reading, who is it being addressed to. So Zechariah is obviously for Israel, and we are learning from what God's going to do to Israel. Here in Ephesians, that's written to us. We're, We're a New Testament church, so this is specifically to us. And look at what it says. Wherefore he saith, we're in chapter 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, what's that next word? Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know, sometimes you forget stuff. Um, So during man camp, uh, uh, Adam Pierce and his boys stayed with us and Darren. And so I had to go and wake up those boys. And so we, we have built some rooms in our basement. So they were staying there. And the back room where the boys are, there's no window there. And so it's completely black. And so I knocked on the door, nothing. Come on, boys, got to get up. We got we to gotta leave. Got to get ready to go. Got to go to man camp, nothing. 
I opened the door and I turned on the light and I said, hey, guys, got to get up. And right back to sleep. Got How many of you remember what it was like to sleep that way? Man, anything happens now, I wake up. I've forgotten what it's like to be able to sleep like a child. Wouldn't that, how many of you honestly would say, oh, God, for one night like that? <laughs> Jeff Bradshaw uses Jack Daniels. That's what helps it. No, no, that's not. Boy, the Bradshaws are getting nailed today. Uh, it is interesting how we forget what it's like to be able to sleep like that. And you young people take advantage of it while you can because it's going to go away. One of the things that's so important for us to understand as Christians is many of us, remember we've talked about that First John chapter 2, there's three levels of spiritual growth in that passage. There's little children, and what they know is their sins are forgiven. How many of you know that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ? Praise God. That's, that's where you start. Then there's the young men, and the Bible says about those young men, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. So you've had some successes. You've had some victories in your Christian life. But then there's that third level of spiritual growth. He says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. You know God. All right? So the, what, what a baby Christian knows is my sins are forgiven. But how many of you know there's more to the Christian life than knowing that your sins are forgiven? And then there are some that you're getting some victories in your life. And, man, it is wonderful. There are times when you really need a victory. Praise God that he gives you that. But how many of you know there's more to the Christian life than you? When you really grow, then you know God. That it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my sins. It's about God. Those levels of spiritual growth. One of the things that we need to understand is that many of us are either those, the, the, that little child, little, I run into you little children because you know that your sins are forgiven. Some of us are the young men and some of us are Christian fathers. Do you know what all of us need to do? We all of us, all of us need to recognize that sometimes we need to wake up from our stupor. We, we need to wake up to what God is doing. And notice what it says, first of all, in Ephesians 5, look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Well, let's look at the cross-reference to that. Okay, look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So what Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 is talking about is salvation. So you might be here today, and you know who God is. You know that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead. You know that. I think that, that most of us, especially in our area, we're a religious area, we all know that. Would you all agree with that? We know that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. We know those things. But that doesn't mean that you're born again. Being born again is when you realize that that sacrifice that Jesus made, that that was for me. And that I need to be born again. And that new birth is not a process. It takes place at a point in time. I was lost, now I'm saved. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was asleep, now I'm awake. This passage is dealing specifically, wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. What light do we need? We need that light of salvation. We need to be born again. Remember what Jesus Christ said, You must be born again. How many of you, you know that you're born again? That there was a point in time where you asked Jesus Christ to save you. 
I'm not asking if you've taken communion. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking about your behavior. I'm asking, was there a time when you awoke from the dead spiritually? That's what happens when we're born again. We're made alive in Christ. Isn't that awesome? So some of you this morning, you might need to be awoken from the dead. And that is you're dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let me... That might sound harsh. That's where all of us were. Every person in the world is dead in their trespasses and sins until they are born again, made alive in Christ. So this, this first, we need to awake from the dead. Now, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 34. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians, you know, I go, to, I, go to Act, I go to Ephesians 4 and 5 a lot. I go to uh, John chapter 17 a lot. 1 Corinthians 15 is another one of those passages. There are specific passages in the Bible that give us so much information. This is one of those. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 34. What's that first word in verse 34? Awake. awake. Now look at what we're to awake to. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. How about this? I speak this to your shame. Ouch. So there's a couple of things that I want to go through right here. We need to awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness. Let me give you a good cross-reference for that. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians, but go with me to Psalm 139. Don't worry, this is not the DNA thing again. Psalm 139. All right, Psalm 139, look at verse um, Look at verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And then that substance stuff that we've looked at, look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I, what's that next word? Awake, I am still with thee. Isn't that a beautiful passage? I love that. And some of you know exactly where I'm going right here. The next verse, so it's like you're reading it like this. If I should count them, verse 18, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. It's like Gollum steps in. It's so interesting that Psalm 139 is a lot of people's favorite passage of Scripture. Look at this right here. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies do take thy name in vain. Uh, Those of you that weren't in the Sunday school class this morning won't um, uh, know what we're talking about here. But, Andy, that's kind of the Christian response to people that hate God. You know? Uh, this is such a, that's such an interesting thing. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies do take thy name in vain. Look at this verse. This is one of those that I've never seen on a pillow. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? So what is he doing? He's talking about the, just the amazing thing that he was created by God, that God created him for a special purpose, that God's thoughts about him are good. When he awakes, he's still with God. What a wonderful thing that is. And he hates the enemies of God. He hates those that speak against God. 
All right, that's what's going on. Now look at the next verse. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now that way everlasting, we understand what that is now, don't we? John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we need to awake to salvation, but then we need to awake to righteousness. How do we awake to righteousness? Well, Psalm 139 tells us how to do that. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you ever been doing something and then you found out later that it was wrong? You know, you might have been driving your car for 100,000 miles without changing the oil. And then you found out that was wrong. And you found out the hard way. How many of you were ever doing something wrong and you found that out the hard way? Uh, I know somebody that their diet, they went on this diet, and all, they, all that they ever ate was they would drink V8 juice. They almost died. All of that salt, all that sodium, he almost died. Moral of the story? Don't live on V8. (laughs) See, he was doing something that he thought was a good idea, and it almost killed him. He almost died. See, but the Bible says it this way. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Do you know what we need God to do? Awaken us to righteousness. Awaken us to righteousness. And what is that? God... Show me what's in my life that's not right, and I'll change it. That's got to be our attitude. And so what we're doing is we're praying for God to reveal what righteousness is. I need to be awakened. God, awake me to righteousness. I need to know what that is. And then parents, parents, your job is to awaken your children to righteousness. How do you do that? By correcting their behavior, by correcting their attitudes. It is your responsibility to correct your children's behavior and your children's attitudes. Amen? It is your responsibility. That's very difficult to do if you have bad behavior and a bad attitude. Right? Man, it gets so quiet when I talk about kids. It always does. And you know why that is? Because all of us know that we make mistakes raising our kids. All of us do, right? My kids are away from here, and we'll find out how bad my mistakes were. (laughs) All of us, we make mistakes in raising our children. Is that right? We all do. We make mistakes in raising our children. But we know exactly what God wants us to do. So we're supposed to teach them to obey immediately with a good attitude. That's the first thing. Obey immediately with a good attitude. And then when we look at the book of Proverbs, there are... So what are we talking about? Awaking, we're awakening our children to righteousness. Two men in Proverbs, the wise man and the fool. The scorner, the wise man. Two, two men, the wise man and the fool. You need to decide, am I raising a wise man or am I raising a fool? Am I teaching my child to be wise or am I teaching my child to be a fool? A fool is one who cannot receive instruction. A fool is one who cannot receive instruction. Right? Boy, do any of you school teachers have any fools in your classes? I know you can't raise your hands. Oh, they did. They raised their hands anyway. The sad thing is they have your kids in their classes. So, Why? All children are foolish. 
The Bible says that, that foolishness must be driven from a child with the rod of correction. All children are foolish. What, who is a fool? A fool is someone who cannot respond to instruction. So you start by raising your child to obey immediately with the right spirit. And then number two, you teach them how to receive instruction. Well, I don't want my child to be a person that just blindlessly follows instructions. You don't have to worry about that. Because your kids don't follow any instructions. (laughs) See, not only are we teaching our children to obey immediately in the right spirit and to follow instructions, but we're also teaching them discernment so if, you're, if they have a friend who says, hey, let's go burn down the Kennedy's house. Their friends would say, no, Aiden, you live there. You can't burn down that house. Isn't it funny how crazy people are if I teach my kids to follow instructions? Then when Hitler gets in charge, they'll follow him. No, Elizabeth Warren's not going to get elected. We don't have to worry about it. My favorite nickname for her was Liawasa. I loved that. The excuses that people come up with for not awakening their children to righteousness, they boggle the mind. So what are we supposed to do? We, we need to be awakened to salvation, to the light of Christ. We need to be awakened to righteousness. And then we need to learn how to awaken righteousness in our children. They need to know what the truth is. They need to know that our rules are not arbitrary, that our rules are based on the word of God. And then our family rules are based on whatever I want them to be. It's my house. Amen? Right? I'm going to be doing um, here in the next, uh, I'm going to finish up Colossians in, in our Sunday school hour, but then I'm going to start teaching on child rearing in our, in our Sunday school. It's been several years since we've done that. So any of you who have children that you're raising uh, in our Sunday school hour, I'm going to start doing uh, some things about child rearing that I think will really help you. All right, so let's go back to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. So he's awakening Zechariah to some spiritual truths. We need to be awakened to salvation. We need to be awakened to righteousness. But what is this talking about in Zechariah? All right, what it's talking about in Zechariah is this is this whole section is picturing Israel as the light of the world. So what we have in Zechariah chapter 3, are these visions talk about Zechariah or, or about Israel's salvation. All right, this is what's going to happen in the millennium. Israel is going to become a, a godly nation. They're going to believe in Christ, and they're going to be the light of the world. Here in Zechariah chapter 4, so Zechariah 3, the visions are about salvation, national salvation. Here in Zechariah 4, it's about testimony. Now, how would we apply that to Christianity? Well, you get saved, you're born again, and then you're supposed to live that testimony out in the world. How many of you know that? All right, so your life should match your faith. Your life should match your faith. What cults do is cults want to control individuals' behavior. And there's a lot of behavior preaching and teaching that goes on. What we do here is we teach the truth. We show from the Word of God what our behavior is to be. And then it's up to you whether or not you submit to the Scriptures in that area of behavior. We're not going to come and knock on your door and say, what are you doing in here today? Amen? 
Yeah, we're, that, that's, we exalt the Word of God, and then it's up to you whether or not you choose to submit to the Word of God. This idea of testimony is when I say I believe something, then I need to live that out in the world. And now here in Zechariah, we're going to start breaking that down. Look at verse 2. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of gold with a bowl upon it, uh, with, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side. So let me give you the overview of this. What this is teaching, and you'll, we're going to see it over the next this week and the next week that God has chosen Israel to bring glory to the world. That's what this passage is talking about. His initial idea was for Israel to be the light of the world. Did they do that? No, they did not. They failed in that. But in the millennium, when Jesus Christ returns and establishes His kingdom, Israel is going to be the light of the world. They are going to be God's people. So this pictures Israel as the light of the world. So hold your place in Zechariah. Go to Exodus chapter 25. Let's talk about that candlestick for a minute. And I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it. We're going to, in another message, we're going to break down all the details of it. Look at verse 31. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. What's that next word there? His. So everybody get there. Uh, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. Now, what I want you to see, that isn't that strange to see his there? Why is that? Because every one of these implements in the tabernacle pictures Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Go with me to John chapter 8. In the tabernacle, there was one candlestick. That's what's being described in Exodus chapter 25. There's one candlestick. In the temple, there were ten candlesticks. So what this is talking about is Israel's testimony among the other nations as that tabernacle moved. It's Israel's testimony among the other nations. But the candlestick itself, of course, represents Jesus Christ. And we know that because look at John chapter 8, look at verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of of life. What is that light of life? Awaken, awaken to salvation. Awaken to the gospel. That's Jesus Christ. He is the light of life. Amen? People need to be awakened to salvation. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, how many of you know that Jesus is the light of the world? You know that. And that when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom, that ultimately there's not even going to be a sun in the sky because Jesus himself is going to light everything. He... That's not metaphorical. He's not like the light of the world. He is the light of the world. Do you see the literal principle there? Okay, that's not a metaphor, an allegory, or simile. He is the light of the world. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. 
This is so interesting. Matthew 5 and verse 14. Now, because people don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, this passage is misinterpreted all of the time. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Look at what it says. Ye are the light of the world. Now, remember the yees. We've talked about that. These thous, yees, and yous, people get hung up on that. The reason that they're in your Bible is because English doesn't define those pronouns well enough for us. So the ye, that's a, that is a plural. If it was the, the T word, the, that's singular, right? So if I said, I speak unto you, that's everybody here. I speak unto thee, that's to Aiden alone, all right? So the T is singular, the Y is plural, So here, he's speaking to Israel. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That city on the hill is not the United States of America, regardless of what George Bush said. All right? The city on a hill is not the United States of America. That goes back to Augustine with the city of God. That's a complete misunderstanding of Scripture, a misinterpretation of Scripture. The Bible says about us, we have here no continuing city. That's what the Bible says. We have here no continuing city. Israel has an eternal city. That's the city of God, Jerusalem. And God is saying to Jerusalem and to Israel, ye are the light of the world. That candlestick in Zechariah chapter 4 is Israel, and Israel is supposed to be the light of the world. And what we'll see is that there are seven lights on that, so it's the perfect, the perfect picture of the light, seven, that number of perfection. But those two olive trees next to it, that's the oil running into it. That's the Holy Spirit providing the power for Israel to be the light of the world. They didn't have that power in themselves. It had to come from God. But they failed, and they crucified Jesus Christ. So what did God do? There was one candlestick that was Israel. What did God do? Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. If you look through Revelation chapter 1, you'll see something that comes up a lot. So look at Revelation 1 verse 4. John to the what? Seven what? Again, what? Okay. So whose mail are you reading? The churches. Now, look with me in verse 13. And in the midst of the seven what? Isn't that interesting? What are these candlesticks? Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Let's see if this is complicated. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So what has God done? And and throughout this, when Jesus corrects a church, He says, repent or I'll come and remove your candlestick. I'll remove your candlestick. What is that talking about? God wanted Israel to be the light of the world. Why? The the entire passage of Zechariah chapter 4 is all about God receiving the glory that He deserves. Jesus Christ receiving the glory that He deserves. And they were supposed to receive that glory by Israel being the light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. That's what Israel was supposed to be. That's what God is telling Israel in in, uh, Matthew chapter 5. 
What's also happening in Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus Christ is the king giving the rules for the kingdom. All of those things in the Beatitudes are all about how Jesus Christ is going to reign during the millennium. That's for Israel. It's for Israel. It's for Israel. Are there principles that we can learn as a church? Yeah, but that's written to Israel. We're not the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Israel is that light on a hill, that city on a hill. That's what they were supposed to be. They didn't do it. So what did God do? He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. When Israel rejected God, God chose to work through the Gentiles, and he's doing that through the churches. And right now, what is the purpose of Grace Baptist Church? The purpose of Grace Baptist Church is for God to receive glory, for Jesus Christ to receive glory in this church until Jesus Christ returns. That is our purpose. Our purpose is to reflect the light of Jesus Christ out into the world. In the middle of our trouble, in the middle of our conflict, in the middle of this dark and evil world, in the middle of our family trouble, in the middle of our physical trouble, in the middle of our emotional trouble, we are to be faithful to God and live our faith out into the world. That's what a church is supposed to be. Let's find that in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 21. Ephesians 3.21. Unto Him, that's God the Father, be glory where? In the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Do you know what God wants? God wants glory from us through Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. Do you know that that's what we're going to do? See, what's wonderful is right now we are this candlestick. We are this light glorifying God in this world, reflecting God's glory. The Bible says that we have this light, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in these bodies. And we're supposed to be living this light out into the world. It's not our light. I don't have any light. It's the light of Jesus Christ, right? I'm supposed to be living that light out in the world, but not only I myself individually, but we corporately, as a New Testament church, we're supposed to be showing that light. Now, let me just bring this down. I heard Ravi Zacharias say one time uh, to be a teacher that you start with the law or the axiom. For us, that's the scriptures, Zechariah 4. You illustrate it through art, literature, and culture, and you apply it with Jerry Springer. (laughs) Then you're speaking to everybody that's in the room. Let me bring it down to the Jerry Springer. Okay? So let's have a couple come up and start beating each other up in front of them. No, just the, just the real practical rubber meets the road. What is a way that we can be light of the world? Just decorate a car and hand out some candy so that we can give somebody a gospel tract and let them know we're here for them. You see, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world? Would you raise your hands? You believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Now, how many of you are born again? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, right? And, and we do believe that Jesus Christ has established churches to bring that glory to the world. No, 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 you're getting tired, but one more time. Would you raise your hands? Would you all, you all believe that? Well, we can't do that by waiting for someone else to do the work, right? So 
immediately after the service, after our little meeting that we're going to have, Wade's going to be back in the classroom, and we need some of you to decorate a car. I'm not asking you to go to the gallows. I'm not asking you to be disemboweled or tortured. If I asked you to, you know, decorate a Michigan car, I could understand. (laughs) What we're asking you to do is just help. And listen, and here's what your help is. What your help does is it gets people on the parking lot so we can give them a gospel tract that talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. See, that, that's what it comes down to. It's us as a church living our faith out in the world individually, but then corporately coming together to, do, to accomplish more than any of us could do individually. That's the purpose of the New Testament church. That's what God wants us to be, and that's what God wants us to do. Zechariah 4, and we'll look at it over the next couple of weeks, but Zechariah 4 is all about how Jesus is the light of the world, and he intended for Israel to be the light, to reflect that light in the world, to be as a nation. When they rejected him, now blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Right now, we're living in the blindness of the Jews, period. A few can get saved, but the nation of Israel is not for Jesus Christ right now. Who's for Jesus Christ? Grace Baptist Church. And every other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church in the world. Aren't you glad we're not alone? Aren't you glad we're not the only church in town preaching the truth? I'm so thankful for that. But just because others are doing it, that that doesn't diminish our responsibility to do everything we can. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.